Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast, your source for policy rants and raves from Tech Freedom, your Washington, D.C. advocate for the freedom to tinker and innovate. I'm Evan Schwarztrauber, your host. On today's show, broadband deployment in America. Is internet infrastructure being deployed in a reasonable and timely manner? We've got a special guest on the show today to discuss this. Joining me in our D.C. studio is FCC Commissioner Ajit Pai. Commissioner, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. Also joining me in our studio is Third Wheel and President of Tech Freedom, <laughs> Baron Soka. Baron, you couldn't resist joining. No, you couldn't resist having me. <laughs> <laughs> so Monday was the 20th anniversary of the 1996 Telecom Act. And part of that law, Section 706, charged the FCC with looking at the broadband landscape in America and determining whether it's being deployed in, quote, a reasonable and timely manner. So, Commissioner, is broadband being deployed in a reasonable and timely manner? In the Bush administration, the answer to that question from the FCC was yes, but starting with the earliest uh, uh, years of the Obama administration, the answer turned to no. And uh, this is the seventh chance they've had to answer the question. Uh, the majority again answered no, and I actually joined them, uh, which is unusual. And part of the reason why I joined them was as I looked at the array of Obama-era broadband policies, it occurred to me that they had failed one after another. Billions of dollars spent on the high-cost program, for example, yet rural America is still being left behind. Billions more spent on the Lifeline program, yet telephone adoption hasn't increased. Billions yet more spent on the E-rate program, yet the 91% of schools don't meet a certain benchmark we have for connectivity. I mean, that kind of expenditure with so little results, it seemed to me that it was time for the FCC to hold the administration to account. And that's part of the reason why I ended up concurring uh, with the agency's uh, judgment. Right. So it was unusual. And many people were surprised that you joined the majority. But your rationale for uh, joining the majority was very different. Whereas uh, your colleagues, what, what are they saying about broadband deployment in America versus your take? Uh, I, mean, I think their take is uh, the usual factory approach to the agency has taken recently, which is that, oh, you know, we think broadband should be everywhere and we think it should be measured at 25 megabit per second standard. And uh, by that unrealistic standard, then uh, America is simply not getting the broadband uh, deployment for its bucks. And you know, that's uh, more of a policy-driven approach as opposed to a fact-driven one. And that's part of the reason why in previous years I've descended from it. And you mentioned that during the Bush administration, up from 96, or even before the Bush administration, from 96 until 2010, the answer was always yes. The FCC found that uh, broadband deployment was going just swimmingly. And in right. 2010, that changed. And since then, we've had negative findings every time. Why the change? It's politically motivated kabuki theater. I think it's uh, very reminiscent of, you know, during the Soviet Union, they would have these five-year plans. And if you look at the, the, I remember looking at the 1933 version of Pravda where they talk about a review of the most recent five-year plan. They said, oh, you know, we've made some progress, but we have so much more to do. We, you know, things are not getting done. There are all these things that the proletariat needs to rise up uh, against the kulaks to do. And that's exactly sort of the motivation here, which is they want to declare this marketplace uncompetitive. They want to say that broadband isn't being deployed because under Section 706, that gives the agency, in its own view anyway, greater regulatory authority. Uh, which is a perversion of what the statutory framework actually was meant to encompass. But nonetheless, that's, uh, that's basically the motivation here. They want to be able to go out and tell the American public, all those terrible Internet service providers are doing you a disservice. We, the government, are here to help you. And you know, thus far, they haven't. And how, how do they purport to help them? Well, I don't think they do. I mean, they, they for example, actually erect more uh, uh, regulatory barriers in the way of broadband deployment by uh, making carriers come to them for permission before they retire certain 
aspects of their network, for example, uh, re-regulating some of the low bandwidth services in the special access docket, which is you know, so some of the more arcane nuts and bolts of the communications uh, industry, but nonetheless, some that are really critical uh, that inhibit the deployment of broadband. So you mentioned that the FCC's uh, finding was fact-free. So let's get into what they were ignoring. What's the good news about broadband deployment in America today? I think some of the good news is that this marketplace is becoming increasingly competitive. The convergence is a reality, and we're now 20 years after the uh, passage of the Telecom Act of 96. It's unthinkable. To, it would have been unthinkable back then, 20 years ago, uh, to envision a world in which you did have cable and telcos and wireless aggressively competing with each other and with you know, satellite and others uh, potentially coming uh, into the mix as well. That's the kind of competition that I think we need to recognize. Take the wireless industry alone, for example. I mean, prices are low. Uh, they're always there's intense price competition. We have four nationwide providers, a host of regional and uh, uh, you know, local providers. And that's the kind of marketplace I think that you would really have to engage in some contortions on to declare it uncompetitive. But and nonetheless, uh, the agency finds the wireless market and the overall bro broadband marketplace uh, you know, not to be as progressive as it actually is. Yeah, and one of the reasons that the FCC has a negative finding is it's, it's ignoring some good news in DSL. Uh, the FCC wants people to believe that DSL is dead and to just ignore it from its uh, uh, report. But Baron, what's some of the good news about DSL deployment in America? Well, uh, correct me if I misstate this here, Commissioner Pai, but the new report that just came out is actually based on data from December 2013. That's right. So that's old data, and it makes it even more outrageous because the FCC FCC has put out another report. They have this second report. I don't understand why they're different, but there's a measuring broadband report that has come out more recently than that that measures data from uh, 2014 that actually tells a really good news story that talks about a doubling of advertised speeds uh, uh, and people getting faster speeds. And even that doesn't tell the good news story that happened in 2014 and 2015 about those DSL networks, the second pipe to the home, being upgraded from the old DSL, which gave you maybe six megabits per second, which might be enough for one Netflix stream, to between 25 and 75 or even 100 megabits per second. None of that's in there. The FCC hasn't talked about that. Do you think that's going to change things? I mean, when they when they finally have to acknowledge that that is happening, the AT&T, for instance, has deployed that new VDSL2 to 75% of its network, which passes over half the homes in the country, what are they going to say then? I think it really depends on what the policy preference uh, I think it really depends on what the policy preference of the moment is. On one hand, I think they're going to want to be able to say this is a tremendous success and that just proves that in the IP transition docket, we shouldn't be allowed we shouldn't be allowing any carrier to retire copper ever because this kind of uh, DSL technology is the kind of thing that could really provide an alternative to uh, cable. On the other hand, what they're going to say is they'll just discount it uh, for purposes of this inquiry, for example, and they'll say well, we don't think that uh, it can be uh, that the telecom carrier is going to deploy it widely enough or uh, that enough customers are going to be able to enjoy it. And so for purposes of assessing whether or not broadband is being deployed, uh, you will simply arbitrarily exclude it. And that's the sort of uh, you, you, the ends justify the means approach. So it's, it's like the old uh, Charlie Brown thing where you know they're, they, they keep moving the football, right? Every time Charlie goes to kick it, the football gets moved. In other words, you never quite meet their goals, never good enough. So let's get into that a little bit. Uh, the FCC made big headlines uh, last year when it redefined broadband. So while we're talking about good news, broadband has been increasingly competitive and speeds are going up and Americans have more and more options, but 
one thing that does change is the definition of the word itself. And right. that is one of the reasons why the FCC can have a negative finding because it just changes the definition. So it was four megabits per second. Now it's 25 megabits per second. Does this mean anything? This has been one of the more amusing and disappointing issues I've worked on at the FCC. Amusing because uh, the speed threshold changes uh, from virtually month to month, literally month to month in the case of December of uh, 2014 to February 2015. I mean, in December, we adopted a, uh, in a we made a decision in the Connect America Fund uh, docket where we said, okay, we're going to spend up to $10 billion over the next decade on 10 megabit per second connectivity. And we're going to call that broadband. The very next month, big splash, and the press loved it. They said, oh, we, we say that 25 megabits per second is the standard, and anything less than that is short-shrifting consumers. Uh, one of my colleagues even called it, a, you know, <laughs> a, I think we're deserving children in the future if we say anything less than that is uh, broadband. Fast forward one month to the net neutrality decision, February 2015. Now, anything faster than a dial-up connection is broadband. And I think it just illustrates the fact that the agency tries to figure out, okay, what kind of policy do we want to adopt? And we're going to work backward from that to determine what, what standard broadband should be in order to, to meet that policy goal. And to me, that's entirely backward. That's the amusing part. And the disappointing part of it is that, to me at least, the media really hasn't caught on to the fact that this agency is not acting as an expert, independent, objective agency. It's essentially you know, letting political motivations drive whatever decisions it might happen to take. And that's one of the things that I think it would be helpful for the press to point out more often. So, Commissioner Pai, when the tech press has talked about this, they've uh, tended to lavish praise on the agency saying, oh, of course, broadband's getting faster. Of course, we need a, a, a higher speed threshold. But nobody seems to get into the specifics. So they, they don't seem to ask, well, is is does 25 megabits actually make sense and why and how would we how would we change that threshold on an, on an ongoing basis in a way that that doesn't just let the agency make arbitrary decisions well, what's your response to that. I think that's exactly right, and that's part of the reason why I've consistently said that whatever the speed threshold should be, it should be driven based on an objective analysis of consumer use of the Internet at this time, and including some sort of premium for the future, because we can't predict you know, what types of bandwidth-intensive applications might develop, and we know they are going to develop. And so you know, it seems to me that the average person doesn't use anywhere near 25 megabits per second uh, when they use the Internet, and so that's part of the reason why I think that the threshold is is completely arbitrary. Can you can you give an example of why you know if you're saying that Americans don't really use 25 megabits, just put that in real world terms. What does that kind of look like in a, at a household use? You know? So in a given household, for example, if you wanted to, one person could stream Netflix, another person could be managing their Twitter feed, another person could be watching Twitch. You could do all of this with a 10 megabit per second connection, and everybody would be happy. I mean, 25 megabits per second is pretty fast for the typical home. I mean, there we're talking more about you know, say an enterprise which is looking for uh, very high bandwidth for a number of different people to be able to use the network. And one of the problems with redefining broadband to 25 megabits is the FCC is ignoring the fact that we have four major wireless carriers in the country that provide broadband. And if you have a gripe about only having two, maybe two fixed broadband providers, you also have these other options. So why does the FCC not 
view wireless as a viable substitute or competitor to wireline broadband? That is a $64,000 question. And the answer there is it depends, again, on what the goal is. When it comes to net neutrality, you better believe the wireless brethren are going to be swept in uh, with the rest of the, the players. But when it comes to this, they're arbitrarily excluded. I mean, unless and until LTE or some other you know, 5G type technology ends up exceeding that speed threshold. The other aspect that I find very amusing and that the press typically doesn't pick up on is, well, then why does the agency uh, have the ability to preen about the fact that they're delivering benefits for consumers in the context of, say, mergers? So in the AT&T DirecTV uh, merger, for example, they got AT&T to agree voluntarily, of course, to a condition that uh, they would supply 10 megabits per second connectivity to millions of different consumers. Well, by their own definition, that isn't broadband. So why are we relegating low-income and uh, minority communities to second-class status when it comes to the broadband world? I mean, that's the kind of discrepancy that one would think uh, the press would be interested in, but thus far I haven't seen and, that. And indeed, on that point, they continue to maintain a separate definition of 10 megabits per second for subsidies. Exactly right. Yeah, when it comes to the Universal Service Fund, 10 megabits per second is the standard. And that's part of the reason why I think Senator Leahy made a splash just yesterday when he said to the you know, Department of Agriculture, well, why are your loans going to support a speed that is less than 25 megabits per second? So the FCC says broadband is 10 megabits when it suits their agenda, but it's not broadband when it doesn't suit their agenda. Why, why is the FCC playing these games? What do they hope to get out of their 706 authority? I think what they are hoping to do is to continue this misunderstanding of Section 706 as a pro-regulatory provision that allows the FCC to have virtually unfettered authority to structure the broadband marketplace. And I think it's supremely ironic, 20 years after the Telecom Act was passed, to look how that section in particular has been abused. I mean, Senator Burns, uh, as I understand, I wasn't there, but you know, certainly read a lot about it, uh, in insisted on its inclusion because he wanted there to be a deregulatory ratchet so that in, if there are places in America especially rural America, where broadband wasn't being deployed, that the FCC could take deregulatory steps in order to remove some of the barriers to infrastructure investment. But fast forward 20 years, we've had tremendous success in connecting America to high-speed internet, but nonetheless, the agency is bent on declaring this marketplace a failure and exercising some pro-regulatory tools, you know, everything from rate regulation to slowing down the IP transition to making sure they can micromanage IP interconnection, you name it. They want every tool on to be on the table in terms of regulation in order to fix a marketplace that isn't broken. And, and our listeners may know that we've, we've spent a long time trying to tell the story about how the FCC's pursuit of net neutrality regulation has led it to open boxes like this. So the Pandora's box of internet regulation was first opened in 2010 when the FCC reinterpreted Section 706 to claim that it was a grant of authority, as you say, to do anything it wants, that it can somehow tie to broadband deployment. Last year, they reclassified broadband under Title II, so they've opened up a second box, but they decided that 706 wasn't good enough, so they're going to use both. So, so now those are both floating out there. Uh, where do you see the FCC potentially using 706 in the future? I think it very much depends on what the D.C. Circuit tells us. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, in my view, the, the court made the wrong decision in 2014 when it seemed to create a 706-based roadmap for the FCC to get more involved in this space. And I fear that if it affirms what the agency has done in the net neutrality order, 
I mean, essentially, there's no limiting principle in Section 706 other than the agency's own sense of restraint uh, to determine what it can and can't do. And I think you also saw that in the companion muni broadband order the agency adopted on the same day, February 26, 2015. It's a 706 grounded approach, and which is supremely ironic to me, because if you look at the legislative history, Congress explicitly considered and rejected, including in Section 706, a provision that would, would have explicitly allowed states, or allowed the FCC uh, to second guess the decisions that states had made in this area. So we, we mentioned on our podcast on Monday where we uh, talked about the anniversary of the act that the language was pretty clear. Section 706 was deregulatory. It was telling the FCC, find ways to remove barriers to broadband deployment. Don't put up more barriers. Right. Now, you also mentioned one of the reasons you voted for the finding was to highlight the failure of some of the Obama administration's policies in terms of promoting broadband deployment. But there are things that the FCC could do to promote broadband deployment. If you know, if you were at the helm, what are some of those things that you would want to see? There are so many, uh, and I noted a lot of them in my, in my statement. One of them, first and foremost, is just making it much easier to deploy the, the physical infrastructure uh, that broadband relies upon. For example, wireless infrastructure siting on federal lands. Right now, it takes twice as long to get the re relevant permits and approvals on federal land than it does in private land. That ends up really delaying the deployment of wireless infrastructure. On the wired side, there are so many things we could do in terms of pull attachments. Uh, for example, streamlining the process for making sure that people can have access to polls. Uh, Google Fiber, for example, told us that uh, they have to wait for every single person who has an attachment on the pole to show up before they can make their own attachment. That's one of the very simple uh, but yeah, profound things that we could do, I think, to help stream And that's, that's partly because of the FCC's rule on pole attachment. That's correct, yes. Uh, and many things like that that uh, we could do. The IP transition is also a fundamental one. Instead of micromanaging how these uh, companies try to get rid of this fading technology and introduce next generation technologies like fiber, what if the agency simply embraced the IP transition, said, okay, we're, we're going to sunset the PSTN on a date certain. The, the traditional copper telephone network. Exactly right. And that way, everybody, both the industry and consumers would have some certainty and they would know, okay, we are going to be transitioning to this new digital world in the near future. That's something that I think consumers would embrace. Uh, the agency, however, has taken a very uh, you know, fearful approach to the future, almost a chicken little Look, if we get rid of this copper network, then all the thousands of people out there amongst the sea of millions who rely on their landlines are going to be left behind. But when you actually talk to those people, they also want the same technologies that all of us take for granted as well. So I think those are just three of the things that you might pick out on the wired side, on the infrastructure side. Spectrum 2 is a huge part of the equation, though. I mean, if you believe, as I do, the future is going to be increasingly wireless, then that, inc that introduces a great deal of pressure upon the FCC to make sure that there's enough spectrum in the pipeline, both licensed and unlicensed. And that's why I think we have to think creatively about how to repurpose some of the spectrum that's currently in the hands of the federal agencies that hold it and get it into commercial hands. We also need to make sure that we have more uh, wide channels for unlicensed innovation. I've talked a lot about the 5 gigahertz band, but there are other bands, well, too. You know, higher than 24 gigahertz that you know, could be the next generation of Wi-Fi or other unlicensed technologies if the agency takes the initiative. Right. And you've talked about things that you want to see the agency do. What is the agency actually going to do? 
Uh, unfortunately, the agency is focused on uh, pursuing its own goals in terms of restructuring the marketplace. Right now, for example, we still have under consideration a proposal from our chairman to regulate a certain aspect of the over-the-top video industry, uh, a part of the marketplace that everybody, I would hope, would agree is really flourishing and it's dynamic. And it's uh, every single day, it seems like there's no new streaming service entering the marketplace. Nonetheless, that is the kind of thing that we are taking a look at. Uh, Commissioner Pai, you mentioned a number of examples that really would help, especially rural America, uh, parts of the country that really have been left behind. The Commission doesn't really seem very interested in those things. It's very focused not uh, on wireless, but on this idea that everyone in America is going to have fiber to the home everywhere immediately. What do you think motivates that thinking? That is a really good question. I think part of it is a sort of benign neglect because I think people realize that the rural part of the equation is very hard to solve and so we would much rather focus on splashy uh, initiatives that are more likely to help uh, urban constituents. So for example, we have left no rock unturned when it comes to updating the Lifeline program uh, to provide a subsidy for broadband because I think that you know, some people think that there are just millions more people in urban areas who are going to use that program. But when it comes to reforming our high cost program to make sure that rural Americans have a a choice of standalone broadband service that a lot of us do in urban areas, the agency is nowhere to be found. I mean, I, we all committed, all five of us, almost a year ago to the U.S. Senate Commerce Committee that we would put a plan on the table to do that. I took that commitment seriously, put, published my plan in June of last year. The majority is nowhere to be found on this. You also mentioned the, uh, the FCC's uh, broad discretion to decide what they're going to require companies to do uh, as, quote, voluntary, unquote. Uh, uh, merger conditions. Well, back in that AT&T DirecTV deal, the, the original deal uh, proposed that as its public interest commitment, AT&T would build that high-speed wireless to something like 35 million Americans. And somehow that got dropped, and instead the company committed to build out uh, fiber to the home in urban areas. What's going on with that? Is that more evidence that the agency is just picking winners and losers and preferencing urban areas over rural America? I think it is, and I think it also uh, speaks to the fact that uh, the merger review process at this agency has become essentially uh, like a Christmas tree where everybody, at least those in the majority, want to put on certain ornaments that will help them uh, be able to swallow the fact that the tree is going to be there. And uh, you know, to me, at least, I take a traditional antitrust view of these transactions. I mean, if the agency is to have any credibility, something more than a political agency, we should look at the merits of the transaction, determine if there's going to be any competitive effect, and make sure that any conditions are narrowly tailored to ameliorate an anti-competitive harm. But here, I mean, I can tell you how many meetings I've had, even recently, where people will explicitly say, we don't really have a view about the transaction, qua transaction, but what we'd really like is this list of 10 goodies. No, by the way, if you can also require the merging parties to spend millions of dollars on outreach groups that, oh, by the way, we happen to represent, that would be really helpful as well. And that is the kind of... I mean, arbitrage is too kind a of word for it. It's just the sort of uh, politically connected cronyism that I think Americans have become really cynical about. There's some uh, similarities there in Congress when the uh, they're debating something like a transportation bill, and somehow things completely unrelated get tacked on the you know the laundry list and uh, favors for senators and congressmen. Uh, gentlemen, any parting thoughts? Uh, are there things that listeners should be looking out for? Uh, major takeaways. I think we covered the waterfront pretty well, but uh, this is going to be, notwithstanding the election season, a pretty momentous year at the FCC. And so I hope that folks uh, stay tuned in. Uh, they can always find me at FCC, uh, tweeting, emailing, and doing all sorts of other things to make sure that we get the pro-market message out there. 
Well, I'll just say that there is a bill that uh, is floating at the House Energy and Commerce Committee as bipartisan support that addresses many, uh, if not all, the things that Commissioner Pai mentioned that would promote uh, broadband deployment, uh, particularly in rural areas, but, but really all over America, making it easier to get access to federal lands and highways. And this, this fundamental question about what does 706 mean is currently before the Sixth Circuit. We filed in that case, and the oral arguments have been set for March 17th. So we may get an answer, I would say, perhaps by June. Well, that's it for today's show. My guest has been Commissioner Ajit Pai of the FCC. Commissioner, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks again for having me. Baron, I would thank you for joining me, but you didn't give me much of a choice. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Tech Freedom or on Facebook.com slash Tech Freedom. Find this podcast in the iTunes store on your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. It will really help us out. Thank you for listening.